0: Om Madhura Saralo Vakkoyi Isha Tattam Prakasya Krishagata Parisheshopi Isha Putra Amritoya Tamatishayam Pavitram Medijang Lokabandhung Paramo Prema Murting Bhajama Om Shanti, Shanti, shanti he. We bow down to Christ. We express the truth of the supreme reality in simple and sweet language, who is immortal though crucified, who is purity incarnate, and the son of Mary the friend of the Lodi, the Lord of the masses, and love personified our salutations to him again and again. Om peace, peace, peace be unto us. Happy Hanukkah Day today. And we are also happy today to have on Sarvapriyananda with us. We are long waiting for his coming. And um, you know, you saw him before when he came just last, about three, four months, no? In January. January, oh, one year almost over. <laughs> last January he was here. And uh, everyone was very much interested to have him. And by takut Swiss, we have him here with us today. And you know, he's a dynamic young monk of our order. Uh, he joined in the Ramakrishna mission in Vidhapit devghar in Jharkhand in 1994. And he has served in mission in various capacities, becoming the vice-principal of devghar Vidhapit School, Higher Secondary School a principal of one teacher's training college in Belur and the first register of the Ramakrishna mission, Vivekananda University at belur Mott and was also teaching in our teacher's uh, Brahmachari training center for so many years and he moved to different countries also, he was invited to speak in different countries so and moreover uh, he has so much in depth knowledge about vedanta and western philosophy and others that will be we are very glad that he will be able to bring more young people uh, into vedanta and today uh, i will share our time i will just because i'll just introduce him today here and we'll have our some reception at the end, uh, but now we'll uh, speak on the topic, today. today's topic is light, the light of Christ in our spiritual life. So I will spend some time and then Swami Sarbha will be speaking the um, rest of the time. So the, today's topic is the light of Christ in our spiritual life. First of all then, this topic itself gives us opportunity to think deeply. But who is Christ, and what is the light of Christ, and what is our spiritual life, and what this relationship can bring into our life? These are the questions, and we can go to understand in depth. Sami, Vivekananda can understand. Who is Christ? you can understand. If I, as an oriental, have to worship Jesus of Nazareth, there is only one way left to me, and that is to worship him as God and nothing else. He said in another place, Three years of his ministry were like one compressed concentrated age which it has taken 1900 years to unfold and who knows how much longer it will yet take. So this is Christ according to the thought of the orientals, we call him as incarnation. And he expressed this in his, all the messages, when he says, come unto me, all ye that are suffering, and I shall give you rest. This type of proclamation has been given by the incarnations, and Christ is giving the same language in the Bhagavad Gita, we find repetition of these thoughts. It is said, whenever their virtue declines, yadā yadāhi dharmasya bhavati bhārata. So whenever a decline comes, I appear again. and to. But it is foolishness. People don't understand me. People don't recognize me because I come in a human body. So this is the same thing has happened with Christ because he came in a human frame. It is not so easy to understand him as his glory. Holy Mother said that, Bare Bare Ashi Dukkho Rashi Rashi Jatona Sohibokato R. Holy Mother even saying, I come again and again to redeem this people and their, to remove their sufferings again and again being born. How much is the suffering and pain? Ramakrishna said, A king's visit king sometimes visits his territory, incognito. And Sri Chaitanya, when he came, it is said that in the roaring prayers of Adwaita Chaitanya appeared. And we find in Matthew 3.3, the voice one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. We find how similar is the prayer to bring the grace of the divine into the ground, in the level where we live, for the good of humanity, for the good of posterity, to spiritualize everyone's life, to comfort the whole world. And their message is a source of eternal blessings. So, according to the idea, Swami Vivekananda, what is in, mentioned, that if I am to think of Christ, I cannot think anything but God himself in the human form. And another proof of avatar or incarnation is that all the impacts of the great giants of the time we find that slowly decays as time passes on. People forget them. But the incarnation is such whose impact grows day by day as time passes. So 2,000 years passed, still Christ is more alive in the minds of the people of the world than when he was born. Rama came Even historic, some people say it is maybe some myth but still it reverberates in the heart of India, millions of people and outside India. Krishna was born and many things people think it is mythical added but see the impact. After so many thousands of years the impact is growing and going. Ramakrishna came there last century who we knew was this illiterate person so-called illiterate person whose impact who could understand that and now see within a short period of time it is at least this Ramakrishna is spreading in the heart of others not as a physical being not as a person yes maybe and may not be but as a principle the principle of universal religion principle of love and compassion harmony of religions wherever we find so similarly christ appears to the oriental mind this that is the lord himself for the good of humanity and we can find so much unique similarities when we read the bible Swami Vivekananda, what is the now question, is that light of Christ? Swami Vivekananda, again we go to read him, he says, To the masses, what is the light? What light can enlighten us? Swami Vivekananda says, To the masses who could not conceive anything higher than a personal God, he said, pray to your Father in heaven. It is the philosophy of dualism as we understand in our Indian thought, Vedantic thought, that to the masses who could not understand higher reasoning and higher truth, a personal God is the most needed, and that was the teaching. And to others, Sami Vivekananda continues, who could grasp a higher idea, he said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. This is Tarduita philosophy. But, to his disciples, to whom he revealed himself more fully, he proclaimed the highest truth, I and my father are one. So here you find that message, the light, which can touch the heart of all. It's universal. He's not, not talking in the language as we Vedanto say, it is dualism, qualified non-dualism, or Absolute non-dualism. But it's a unique message which is given. But some messages have been not paid emphasis because of the church. They wanted to have some of their own principle to preach and something not to emphasize much. But it is there that it is the ray of light, that that light of Christ which can touch the dualists. It can touch the heart of the non-dualists. It can touch the heart of the people even who are thinking the part and the whole, the fire and the spark, thinking of the divine in that relation. It is unique. And if we go to the, I'll read out more of the, some of the Gospels, Gnostic Gospel where you find that beautiful similarities the message of Christ which has not been commonly read and known. The hidden sayings that the Savior spoke to Judas, Thomas. And this is the Savior, means the Christ said, Brother Thomas, while you are still in the world, listen to me, and I shall reveal to you what you have thought about in your heart. Since it is said that you are my twin friend, examine yourselves and understand who you are, and how you will come to be. It is like Gita. Uh, who are you? Who am I? Gita said, uh, Krishna said, I know your past and future, but you have forgotten this old. But uh, I know you. He said that I am your friend. Sokha. the same language. I uh, have time, we could go to detail, but I will quickly pass, just giving a little touch of it. He says that, since you are to be called my brother, it is not fitting for you to be ignorant of yourself. Vedanta says, know thyself. Tuam, who are you? You should not be ignorant about that, because you are becoming my brother. That means the language of oneness. That you are becoming me, and then you should not stay in ignorance that is the tam padartham. it is not fitting for you to be ignorant of yourself and in the same passage it continues I know that you have already understood that I am knowledge of truth see aham aham I tat tamasi, thou tam that, you have understood me as that, that I am the knowledge of truth. So, while you are walking with me, though you lack understanding, you have obtained knowledge because of my proximity. For those who have not known themselves, have known nothing. Upanishad again and again saying, no? If you do not know yourself, then you are the ignorant person and you grope in ignorance and you cry and die. So here also same language. For those who have not known themselves, have known nothing. But those who have known themselves already have acquired the knowledge about the depth of the universe. Language is different. Depth of the universe. We call penetrate the name and form and see what is the background, Satchidananda what Christ is saying exactly same language the about the depth of the universe so then my brother Thomas you have seen what is hidden from the people what they stumble against in their ignorance but you have seen when you have seen me you have seen him Same the truth in the hidden visible and invisible question came and Jesus said If what is visible to you is obscure to you, how can you comprehend things of exalted majesty and fullness, which are invisible? If you cannot see the living presence of the divine, how can you see that is transcendental, beautiful? Whatever is subject to change, see, it's all Vedanta. It is saying... We always in Vedanta say everything is changing, changing, changing. What is unchanging? That is called Brahman. No, see here Christ says, whatever is subject to change will perish and be lost, and henceforth has no hope of life because this body is an animal body. Just as an animal body perishes, these modelled forms will also perish. So you are children until you become perfect. See? Beautiful message. That is the ray of what we want to and that can enrich our spiritual life. Thomas again continued. Thomas put that question, when light comes and banishes darkness then the accomplishments of each will be clear and you are light. Bring enlightenment, O Master. See? He has understood Christ not as a Christ but as a light. And you are that light and you can bring that light to all of us, removing, banishing our ignorance. He says, Jesus said again, it is through light that light exists. Blessed Thomas, surely this visible light has shown for you, not to keep you here, but that you might leave. And when the chosen ones lay down their animal nature that this light will withdraw up to its being and its being will welcome to itself because the light is a good helper. What a beautiful Vedanta, no? Saying that this visible light that means what you see through the name and form as Christ has shown for you not to keep you here. Seeing an avatar, Itself, it lifts you, and not to keep you here, but that you might leave here, leave this place. And when you are a chosen once that means anyone in the world who is chosen, lay down and un- chosen by God. Yes, we are all chosen, but He says when lay down their animal nature, the base nature, this light will withdraw up to its being and its being will welcome to itself because the light is that God. What a parallel thought of the Upanishad ideas and Vedanta. Again Christ said in that same place that is why it is said that everyone who seeks truth from true wisdom wings to fly fleeing from passion that burns human spirits and one will fashion wings to flee from the visible spirit. If you want to be perfect, keep these sayings. The intelligent person is perfect in all wisdom, but to the food, good or evil are the same. Eh? But to the, the ordinary people it is the same. For fools, the fire that guides them gives them an illusion of truth. Uh, in the, exactly the Vedanta, to the ignorant, this world seems to be so perfect, so peaceful, so joyful. So if the fire that guides them, the ignorance, gives them an illusion of truth, see, Maya theory we call about Adhasbad, etc., huh? it will shine on them with a perishable beauty, and it will imprison them in dark delight, and capture them in sweet-smelling pleasure. And it will make them blind with insatiable desire, inflame their souls and be like a stake that is jammed into their heart and can never be removed. Ignorance, when it comes, when you get uh, the drishti being uh, outside and we get stuck there, so that is the end. It is very rare is the chance to come back. Again, he continues, blessings on the wise person who has sought truth when it has been found and has rested upon it forever and has not been afraid of those who wish to trouble. See, when you happiness and misery, you remain one and reaching that point. So what it parallel comparison we can do? The state of an ignorant and state of a wise person has been given. And what Swami Vivekananda said? What did Christ say? He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Again and again did he preach renunciation as the only way to perfection. So, in a nutshell, what I wanted to present today, that Christ is the divine and that light Is shining not for the one category of people but all categories of people who have the eye to see and grab to the form of Christ the pure Christ who has been taken a human form from that to that the transcendental which is light and light where all everything to be given up God and Mammon cannot go together there the highest level of renunciation detachment forgetting everything but becoming tuned to the God Consciousness will attain that oneness. That is the ray of light that can take us and that can impact our spiritual life. So I end here because I already am taking Swami's time. So he will have to give more. And at the end, then I will come back again to conclude this. Thank you. So, Swami Sarbha
1: Revered Swami Sarvadevanandaji Maharaj, other revered monks and nuns, devotees and visitors. It's wonderful to be back. Um, he was just mentioning how I was uh, serving for a while in our uh, teacher's training college near Belur Math. Now, it's interesting to note that revered Maharaj himself was there many years ago. I think before I was born, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and his name is there. Maharaj does not know that. Uh, they put up the names of all my predecessors there. And so way back is Swami Sarvadevan under there. And one of the monks who is working there right now was joking What's with this place? Why do you, all the monks seem to be keep they, know they keep going to the United States? <laughs> 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 One of the most beautiful ceremonies that I have been lucky enough to see and be part of in Belur Math is Christmas. And uh, the way it is celebrated there and observed there, it's so beautiful and sublime and elevating. A number of Christians who live in that locality, you know, they prefer to come to Belurmat on Christmas Eve rather than go out of the way, long way, to a church in Calcutta. One hundred years ago, in 1914, Christmas was being celebrated on Christmas Eve. And one of the young novices, brahmacharis there, So Brahmachari Abhoni, Swami Prabhavanandaji, who founded this Vedanta Society, he was sitting there and he had joined just a few days before this ceremony. And he writes that I was sitting there and a senior monk offered flowers and fruits and cake, and yes, cake, in (laughs) Vilmarumat, to a picture of the Virgin Mary with the baby Jesus. And another monk read out, uh, that's still done. I have had the uh, good fortune of reading out the Nativity of Christ and, and the Sermon on the Mount on Christmas Eve at Belurmat. And that's what, what was being done 100 years ago in 1914, in December. At that time, the president of Belurmat, of the Ramakrishna order, was Swami Brahmananda, who was also the guru of Swami Prabhavananda. And uh, Swami Prabhavananda writes that Swami Brahmananda came into the temple, the old temple at that time, and he said, meditate on the Christ within. Feel his living presence. And then something remarkable happened. Swami Prabhavananda writes that all of us were suddenly transported to some other realm, where we felt, we felt the living presence of the Christ. It's as if our consciousness was elevated to a different spiritual plane altogether. And a silence, a silence so thick prevailed in the the temple at that time. For a long time, people silently meditated. They had that power, you see, Swami Brahmananda, Swami Vivekananda and others to actually elevate the, the, the consciousness of the people around them to God consciousness. And what was the result? Swami Prabhavaranda writes that after that, I realized that Christ was my own. My own in what sense? Just as Krishna is my own and Ramakrishna is my own, Christ is also my own. That's what, that was the result. The Lord Jesus Christ, you find the book of Matthew, that when he found that multitudes had gathered around, and then what he did was, he took his chosen disciples, the apostles, and he took them to the top of a mountain. And then he spoke to them, spoke his heart as it were. And you find the remarkable similarity when Sri Ramakrishna Sometimes would call Swami Vivekananda and the other direct disciples, the monastic disciples who were to be the monastic disciples, the apostles. He would call them in his little room in, in the temple garden of Dakshineshwar. And he would shut the door. He would look out to see that, you know, nobody is listening. And he would talk in private to them. His choicest teachings. Now, whenever I say, say that, the question in all of your minds and always is, Oh, what were those teachings? <laughs> Well, there's nothing secret about them. They have been published. But what's important are not those words. What's important is they have the ability to, Sri Ramakrishna would transmit spirituality. When he said those words, something more, much more than the words was transmitted. When the illumined guru speaks and the competent disciple listens, spirituality becomes tangible there. So that is what uh, used to happen. And that reminds me, it's marginally relevant, but it's a very interesting story. Swami Suvitanandaji, once uh, the, the general secretary of our order, who visited uh, recently, he was the sevak, the, the, he used to serve Swami Premeshanandaji, who, uh, who, uh, who was a very senior monk of our order and a disciple of the Holy Mother. So once, uh, Suvitanandaji was serving him, was doing some little service to Swami Prameshananda, who was old and ill at that time. And Swami Prameshananda said, come, I'll tell you a secret. And Suhitanji said, I knew what secret he was going to tell me, because he had told me so many times. And he said, uh, well, Maharaj, go on. No, no, shut the door. Make sure that nobody is listening. Oh, Maharaj, you you can go uh, go on and tell me nobody is (laughs) listening. Well, let me tell you. Sri Ramakrishna was God himself. And Svitanji said, yes, yes, I know. You know. Yes, I know. And everybody knows. Everybody knows. Yes, everybody knows. And nobody cares. (laughs) You see, we do not really understand what God is, let alone what an incarnation of God is. So it sounds nice to say that so-and-so, so the Lord Jesus was God himself, was an incarnation of God, was the son of God. Sri Ramakrishna was an avatar. It's nice to say that and think about it. Makes you feel vaguely good. But what it means, most of us do not understand. Anyway, the Lord Jesus Christ, what, he, what, what did he say to those few people, young people who had gathered around, not so young also some of them, and who had gathered around him on top of that mountain 2,000 years ago. He said to them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean? There's this beautiful little book, The Sermon on the Mount, According to Vedanta by Swami Prabhavananda. It's it's really beautiful. And uh, there he gives his own take on the Sermon on the Mount. I was reading this little volume given to me by one of the monks lent to me by one of the monks last night and it's a special volume because it's signed by Swami Prabhu himself he gives it to very interestingly he gives it to somebody called Mark um, but this, this is in the book of Matthew blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven what does it mean? The very beginning of spiritual life comes when we are humble. When we are low, when we, we decide to bend down and look for wisdom, to start searching. You see, we, do not, we normally do not think of ourselves as specially egotistic people. The other person has a big ego, but we don't really look at our own ego. Our ego is tied up with so many things. with Pride of learning oh, I know the scripture. I've studied all of that. The famous uh, story about the Zen teacher and the young man who comes to learn Zen and he says, uh, I wonder if he was American. You know, this, 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 uh, he says that uh, I, I uh, want to learn Zen and the teacher says, "Sit down and he starts to say something and the young man says, oh, I, I know that. I've read that book. And the teacher says, hmm. And then he starts saying something else and the young man says, yeah, yeah it's there in that book. I, I've read that too. And the teacher says, hmm, I understand. OK, let's have tea. And he starts pouring tea into that young man's cup. And it keeps on pouring till, it's, till it overflows. And we know that story. And the young man said, stop, stop. It's overflowing. And then the teacher said, exactly. Unless you empty your cup, how can you taste my tea? So emptying the cup, being poor in spirit, I used to teach novices in, in, in Belur Math, the Brahmacharis, until very recently. In, in fact, until the, the, three days ago <laughs> before I came here. Usually, you see, the Swamis were sent out outside the country. They are let off from their usual duties for several months. So um, I went to the General Secretary for order to ask in the new session, should I teach? Am, am I going to teach? And his answer was very direct are you going to eat? (laughs) Uh, I said, what? he said, if you are going to eat, then you're going to do some work. (laughs) So you go on teaching uh, until the day you go to the United States. And in fact, my last class was the day I flew out to the United States. And the brahmacharis there would ask that, um, what is the right way to ask questions? There is a right way and there is a wrong way. Questions you must ask, but there's a right way and a wrong way. What is the right way? The right way is this that I'm quite sure what the scriptures are saying, I'm quite sure what the illumined souls are saying is correct, but I do not understand it yet. So I'm asking questions to understand. And the wrong way is I know you're wrong, I'll point it out to you presently. <laughs> That's the wrong way of asking a question. So being poor in spirit, is the beginning of spiritual life. To give up the conceit of learning, that does not mean you have to be a fool, but to give up the conceit of learning, to, to think that I know everything. You see, there's this, at present there's this disease of, why should I want a guru? My thoughts are good enough. But you see the hidden ego there, My thoughts are the thoughts of this mind and there are so many such minds there. Why should it be that my thoughts, the thoughts in this mind, are in any way specially better than the thoughts in those minds? It's only when I become identified with this one particular mind, then I feel these are my thoughts and hence they are important. We don't say it out loud. It comes out of identification with a kind of limitation of ourselves. So, I've met so many people, especially Westerners in, in, in India. What are you doing? I'm seeking spirituality. Very, very, very good. But what are you doing right now? I'm looking for a guru. How long have you been looking? 20 years. So, what the guru is there. But what prevents us from coming to, coming to the guru or accepting a guru or finding a guru is not that the guru is not available. It's that we have blocked ourselves. You know, I, I need the best possible guru there is in the whole world because, implicitly, I am the greatest possible disciple that the guru would be lucky to have. I don't say that aloud. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sri Ramakrishna says, a person who is thirsty, a person who is really thirsty, will take water wherever he finds it. He says literally, if there is water covered with scum, he will remove the scum because he will drink anything. So he will lap it up, whatever is there. And similarly, when we are really thirsty for God, We will take whatever comes, whatever is sacred, whatever is divine, whatever is inspiring, we'll take it up. We will not go searching, you know, this is not good enough for me, that's not good enough for me. Then Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What is this mourning? And how is it connected to spiritual life? It's not mourning for the usual kind of mourning we have for, for things of the world or people of the world. Sri Ramakrishna used to say, people weep uh, buckets of tears for their children, and usually for the children. Children are one of the causes of weeping, actually. So (laughs) they weep buckets of tears for the children, for money, and for anything under the sun. Who weeps for God? Who weeps for God? Mourning is when we are not satisfied with this world. When we are not satisfied with this world. That's the beginning of religion. Freud, not a religious person. He clearly said, I'm an atheist. But he gave a beautiful definition of religion. He said, the characteristic of religion is the belief in something transcendent. Something that is beyond the limits of the senses, beyond this world. So when we are not satisfied with what we have in this world, what we have experienced till now, look at our lives, everything that we have done done from our birth till today, till this very moment. We have done so many things and basically all that we have done is to make ourselves happy. You may say I did a lot of things to make other people happy, but making other people happy made you happy basically. And all that we have done till today is to make ourselves happy. Are we happy right now? Are we completely happy at peace with ourselves? We are not. So what we do in this world does not provide permanent peace, does not give us what we are really seeking. This is mourning, the sense of this, that they who mourn, They shall be comforted. They are blessed because they shall be comforted. They shall find that transcendent peace. Then Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are blessed, but, you know, it's what's strange is, why did he say they shall inherit the earth? It's normally, that's what we feel is just the other way around. And what people teach their children is that you be aggressive and you push yourself forward Nobody is going to give you the good things in life. You have to make a life for yourself. If you're meek, you're going to like get left behind. You're going to get crushed under the wheels of progress. So how are you going to inherit the earth? I mean, you may become one with the earth. They'll crush you. But how are you going to inherit the earth? You see, when we, we hold on to this limited ego, we cut ourselves up off from the rest of the world. This is me and mine. This is not mine. I'll try to make it mine by hook and crook, by hook or crook, and that becomes the purpose of my life, to get more and to gather more for this one limited individual. And the whole of life becomes this pursuit. You call it a rat race. The problem with the rat race is even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat, yes, (laughs) a rat. There's not one multi-billionaire who has found peace from his billions. But there are many multi-billionaires who have found peace by giving up the billions. Especially in this country. There's this discussion going on about the, the super rich, many of whom actually take the very wise decision of letting go of their wealth and helping, using that wealth to help others. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those who expand beyond the limits of the ego. Those who let go of the limited individuality. You know what happens? Then the entire universe becomes your own. Not legally. The state of California will not recognize your ownership. But, but you will feel at home all over the world. You will feel at home with all kinds of people. Everybody becomes your brother or your sister. The Isha Upanishad says, Do not hanker after wealth, for whose is wealth? Kastya Swidhanam. Whose is wealth? And the commentator Shankaracharya, commenting upon that, he says there are two meanings. First, the Upanishad is asking us not to hanker ab- after other people's wealth, of course because that's immoral, but not even to be attached to your own wealth. What you may say, you may feel that I have earned it, it's legally mine, but not even to be attached to that. That's the first meaning. You see, when we are attached to something, when we say this is my wealth, you know what happens? It's like I hold on to this. When I'm holding on to this, what's happened is this is also holding on to me. I cannot move this way or that way. I cannot move away from this as long as I'm holding on to this. As long as I'm holding on to money, to wealth, to positions, they are holding on to me. They are holding on to me. They have a claim upon my thoughts, my feelings, my happiness and my, uh, my satisfaction in life. They determine. So there's the first interpretation for whose is wealth. And the second interpretation is, of course, very profound. It means two things again. One is, there is no wealth that you can lay claim upon. It's a mirage, it's an appearance, it's maya. What exists is God. The other way you can look at it is, it's all God's wealth. It's not just a thought. It's not just a nice thought or a nice sentiment. It's reality. How much of this earth did we create? How much of this body did I create? How much of it am I maintaining actually consciously? Almost nothing. Something is doing it. You can call it nature. But something other than me is doing it. It's not mine. So, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Here, Ji says righteousness, it's not just ethics. Uh, righteousness does not mean that those who hunger or to be good. That's very good. One should hunger to be good. But there's something more than that. Those who hunger after God, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. They shall be fulfilled. Those who hunger after God. There's a story of a, of a young man who went to a spiritual teacher and said, uh, when will I realize God? And the teacher said come with me. And he took him to a, a pond. And he caught hold of that young man. And pushed his head inside the water. After a few seconds the man began to struggle. The young man began to struggle. But the teacher would not let him go. Kept his head dunked under the water. And after some time when the, the struggles became really quite violent. And then the teacher let him go. And he came out gasping for breath. How did you feel? And that young man said, well, sir, I I felt I would die if I did not get uh, the, the next breath. When you feel like that for God, you shall see God. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be fulfilled. They shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. A very beautiful saying. When I read this, you know, what I felt was, we have to be honest about ourselves the first stage in spiritual life is honesty we don't have to be honest to everybody else but at least let's be honest to ourselves we are very far indeed from sainthood we are far from being saintly an understanding of what we are right now need not be depressing we need not feel depressed and sad about it you can convert that into a powerful spiritual attitude, an attitude of of prayer to God, of realizing one's helplessness in this life. There's this great Tamil um, poet and a saint, a predecessor of Ramanujacharya, who prays to God. Look at this beautiful sentiment in one of his (coughs) Sanskrit hymns. The prayer goes like this. When I consider my weaknesses when I consider my sins, I cannot in any way actually ask for thy forgiveness. It's unreasonable to ask for forgiveness. So I'm completely helpless. Do with me what thy, thou will. Imagine that feeling if I'm completely surrendered to God. Another devotee says that uh, that, God, you test people to, to see if they are worthy of thy grace. But I shall test thee. How? It's because I am so utterly hopeless. I'm so utterly full of weakness and sin that I'm not worthy. But if you can rescue me, then you have passed my test. I'm really the best candidate, the best, best test of your power to rescue people. So if that is our condition, if there is even any truth in that, then what should we do to others? First thing that we should do is show mercy, is we should forgive. We should forgive because God, the Lord promises, be merciful. If you are merciful, you shall obtain mercy. You shall obtain mercy from the Lord himself. He gives us an out. A way out. A powerful and, and, and a very easy way out. If we cannot make ourselves worthy of God's mercy, there is a way out. Show mercy to those who are around you. Show forgiveness. Give forgiveness to those who are around us. Let us, give, let us forgive those who hurt us in any way. Those who cause, cause trouble to us in any way. Let us forgive There's so many such beautiful incidents in Ramanuja, Acharya, again, Ramanuja Acharya's life. There was a great devotee of Ramanuja, Kuresha. Um, some of you may know the story. He was a householder devotee of of, uh, of God and a disciple of Ramanuja Acharya. And this Kuresha, once, when they were being persecuted by a king of a neighboring kingdom... He enabled Ramanujacharya to escape with his disciples and presented himself for the king's uh, persecution, for his revenge. And the king actually ordered him to be tortured. And, and, the, and, the, and the general who did that, you know, he actually blinded Kuresha. And once and many years later, when Kuresha was wandering the land and he came back to Ramanuja Ramanuja Ramanujacharya came and embraced him with tears in his eyes and saw what Kuresha had sacrificed for him. And then he said, You ask for anything. Ask for anything, I shall give it to you. And the first thing which Kuresha asked for was, That man, that general who blinded me, who took my eyes, bless him that he may have God realization before me. Imagine. Not just forgive. And Rabban you know, the tears in his eyes, he went into ecstasy when he heard that. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. One of the most terrifying things I've ever read was a poet. I've forgotten who the poet was. He writes about the day of judgment. Throughout our life, we are experts in making excuses for ourselves, he says. He says, you make excuses for yourselves throughout your life. But what shall you do, you poor soul, where you are face to face with one who knows how to ask questions? That's God, on the day of our death. So who is God? Beautiful description, and a rather terrifying description. The one who knows how to ask questions. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I shall not dilate upon this. It's a subject for many lectures. whole of spiritual path is this. Chitta Shuddhi, Sattva Shuddhi. Purification, inner purification. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We talk about meditation, Samadhi. There was this monk. It's a real story. There was a monk in the, in the Himalayas who said in Hindi, Samadhi to asane, Samadhi is easy. I shall give you samadhi, the highest spiritual experience in meditation, in two minutes. But the condition is, come to me with a pure heart. I said, oh, (laughs) so that condition, unfortunately, it's a very tough condition. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And Swami Prabhavanandaji here gives the example of Swami Brahmananda. And indeed, any of the illumined souls. The first thing that you first sign, there's no way of understanding who has seen God or not, but the first sign of a truly uh, peace, of of, of a a spiritual person, you feel peace when you come close to such a person. Even the most troubled heart feels at peace. Swami Pravamanji writes, when Swami Brahmananda touched my head in blessing, it was like taking a cool shower in the midst of, of a fever. We are in a fever, the fever called worldliness, They're being touched by this person. There were monks who were quarrelling among each other, and a complaint came to Belurmat. Let's take action against these people. And Swami Brahmananda said, don't do anything. I'm coming there. And he went to that monastery. And he did. people expected he's going to call people, and he was going to talk to them, and have meetings, so that they can settle their differences. He did none of that he said all the monks should come and sit and meditate in front of me every day in the morning. And they started doing that. And after a few days, they gave up their quarrels. Everybody rose above their own pettiness. That's the, you know, it's the children of God. They are the peacemakers. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Even after we attain some spiritual height, it will not lead to an end of, actually an end of physical or, or mental or social suffering. The world is as it is, it will continue. But now, our suffering also becomes a form of spirituality. You can see so many examples from the, from the Christ himself, who was crucified. And on the cross, he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Down to Sri Ramakrishna, when he was passing away from cancer and even at that time he kept on giving spiritual instruction to those who came to to seek all of them they suffered but in their suffering their lives became a blessing their lives became a light for our spiritual life i pray to the lord jesus christ to bless us all now and in the years to come that we may grow in perfection growing in perfection means being Perfect in these things which he has spoken about. There are eight of these uh, these teachings which he has given, uh, which I just read out. These are instructions for perfection. These are instructions for perfection, for becoming worthy of the vision of God, for becoming worthy of God. Chesterton, in his humorous way, says that there are infinite ways of falling. You can fall this way or that way or in front. There is only one way of standing straight. And the Sermon on the Mount teaches us how to stand straight in the eyes of God. Thank you very much. Thank you.